John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, what a weird start to the morning here. Uh, Literally, the power has been out at uh, my place, our place, uh, since 9 o'clock. It just literally came back on. So we're trying to scramble around right now, uh, hoping to get the show in, but it, and I'll get all the things uh, set up and get that back in the house, and hopefully it'll stay uh, active so we can, you know, save it. Again, power went out at about 12.15 on uh, Sunday mo- Monday, Sunday night, Monday morning, and that was out for several hours and then had problems with that. And then today, you know, Puget Sound Energy, I don't know what happened here, but all the places here at Barbie Mill, they just got wiped out. Now they're just b- back on here. So uh, we have like 108 homes without power for the last hour. And, of course, uh, a lot going on here trying to get ready to do the show. But let's waste no time. Let's get into, aside from <clears throat> my power outage, the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. I don't really care what's already happened. It doesn't matter. You know, I mean, we can't do anything about those five games that already happened, or the yards or the plays or nothing. But we do have the ability to do something about what's coming up. And uh, for us to kick into into a whole better level of our performance in all aspects of our game when we have a, a you know a good start behind us uh, makes us you can make us real dangerous going down down the schedule here. So um, we've got but we've got to improve. You know we've got to get better. And uh, there's been a, you know we've we've already like a lot of teams have gone through a lot of injuries. And we have too. We've had a lot of changes that we've had to deal with, and we just have, need to overcome those and come out of those and be better for it. And uh, I'm hoping we can get that done. Yeah, so that's Pete Carroll as the bye week has begun now. You're looking back over the next six games and seeing, you know, what they have to do to try to come out of it pretty well. <clears throat> Certainly it's going to be important because you need to win the division games, and they got Arizona away. They need to win that one. Then they got San Francisco at home, and by that time San Francisco is still having a bunch of injuries. Then they got a real tough trip to Buffalo. Then they got a trip to the Los Angeles Rams. So they uh, need to do that and get things going on defense. Certainly the bye week is going to give the team a chance to get some guys back, which is going to be needed. You know, Jamal Adams, of course, being the biggest injury, uh, missing the last two games with a groin injury. But I don't know. I don't think anybody really totally expected the Seahawks to be off to a 5-0 and start. You know, and as it turned out, you know, the five teams that they play all have losing records, except for the New England Patriots, are 2-2. Two and two. Uh, That, you know, they didn't anticipate an 0-5 start by Atlanta and the firing of Dan uh, Quinn. You know, certainly the bad defense of the Dallas Cowboys. You know, New England, of course, uh, looking a little bit better than I think people thought they were going to be, despite all their changes. Miami being the Miami Dolphins and, of course, Minnesota, you know, just up and down on offense and defense and not able to win, particularly in big games. So nevertheless, things are looking good right now for the team, 5-0. and And, of course, what that does, if this team can uh, you know, win four of the five non-division games and possibly go, and they have a good chance to be able to do that, because you know, you know, other than the Buffalo game, the only tough, real tough trip is going to be Philadelphia, because remember, they have to take on the Giants, and they have to take on the Jets, and they have to take on uh, you know, the teams that are very beatable. But uh, you know, the chance of 8-2, 9-1 non-division is right there, along with the fact that this Seahawks team then uh, needs to go 4-2 and two in the division and uh, it, to secure that. You know, you worried a little bit about the Rams. They're 4-1, and one, <clears throat> but of course their four wins have come against the NFC East, and right now uh, Seattle has to play three games against the NFC East, and none of them are the Dallas Cowboys. At 10.30, we're going to talk to NFL Network's Omar Ruiz to be able to see what his thoughts are on the Seahawks and what's going on in the National Football League. Number two. Again. Pressure. It's Williams. And I think he 
He's going to be short. Marshawn Lattimore might have saved the game and won it for New Orleans. It's a great tackle. Wow, what a crazy game. The Chargers up by 17 points in the first quarter, and Drew Brees just started coming back and showing he does have some things left in the tank. Uh, Final score, 30-27, the New Orleans Saints beating the Los Angeles Chargers. That game went to overtime. Uh, What you can see is it looks like they drafted a great quarterback in Justin Herbert, and what you can also see, they can't win the close games. Last year, they were one of the worst teams in football uh, in one-possession games, and it's now carrying over this year, too. And so they're sitting there at one and four, while the Saints, you know, barely able to escape. They're now three and two. Uh, right now, you, what you can look at is that uh, the division favorites, you know, is at Tampa Bay. Now Carolina's off to a good start too in New Orleans, but New Orleans with the two losses kind of stunning. You know, we'll figure try to figure that out. And we'll compare notes with Sean Salisbury because he joins us at the top of the hour. Number three. All tests clear for the Tennessee Titans this morning, so tonight's game against Buffalo is on. Tuesday night football is a go in Tennessee. We'll see how many Titans can answer the bell, but there will be a game. Okay, that, that's really important, obviously. And it came a little later this morning, this news, than we usually do. Is there any uh, explanation for that, any reason why we, that might have happened? Doesn't no, matter, right? Doesn't matter as long as we got, the, long as, long as, hey, first of all, everybody's healthier now, right? Just People are getting healthy in Tennessee, thing, of which is good. But yes, uh, no further postponements or cancellations of games this week. So the Bills and the Titans are going to face off, and that's going to be at 4 o'clock today, Tuesday night football. Only the third time in NFL history there's been a Tuesday game. 1946 there was one. 2010 because of snow, Minnesota had one against New Orleans, and uh, you know that was 2010. And so now you got this game between the Titans and the Buffalo Bills. Both teams are undefeated, and we'll see how many players the Titans really have because they have so many players on the COVID list. Uh, how many are going to get back? And so uh, they have a lot of roster scrambling and a lot of scrambling to do. And of course, they've been out almost what two and a half weeks, one of the longest stretches you can have. I think there was a couple teams back in 2000. Uh, you know, back you know, in, two, when, in 2011 when uh, you had uh, the big crash in New York. And so, uh, you know, that had a couple weeks, two and a half weeks. But nevertheless, this game's going to be on CBS. And uh, now there will not be a Thursday night game on week six. Uh, that game has now been moved to Sunday. And it's a pretty good one. It's going to be Buffalo against Kansas City. Number four. And, Stephen, the Cowboys' stance, and you made it pretty clear already this morning, that's, the stance has been that the plan was for Dak to be the Cowboys' quarterback for the long haul, and that was Dak's message, too. After yesterday, did that change, and do you see that Absolutely changing not. in the future? Absolutely. Absolutely not. He's our teacher. He wants to overcome anything that can be Dak. This is something that, uh, you know, our doctors do good at this so they're committed, as Stephen Jones said, to uh, Dak Prescott. Now the question is, how committed are they going to be? He got a compound fracture of the ankle. It's a four- to six-month recovery period, which takes them past the time that you have to do the franchise tag or do some kind of a long-term deal. My guess would be if they can fit it into the cap, they'll probably do some kind of a deal that uh, you know would make him a just a franchise player, but they have to redo so many other contracts because they're so far over the cap, which might be as low as $175 million. Uh, you would think that Prescott now you know probably is not going to get that long-term deal next year. His cap number will be 37 point seven thirty seven seven next year that's the price tag of the second franchise tag on him 
And so that broken ankle, of course, we'll see how long it takes for him to come back. The fact that he was able to go home yesterday, one day after it, shows at least no infection. So that's encouraging. And so, uh, but nevertheless, it's going to be hard to franchise him because, again, they've got about eight players at $108 million of cap room. And so they're going to have to either redo a lot of contracts to fit it in or do something because, you know, they won't have much of a team if you have 175 and a $37.7 million cap figure on uh, their quarterback. Number five, the one, two. Swing and a ball driven out to center. Well struck to center on its way and gone. Wow, he crushed it. Absolutely hammered it to left center. Over the bullpen in left center. 440 some odd feet. And just like that, the Braves on top. It is 2-1. There's the homer they were looking for. Well, it looks like the Braves off to a good start in the NLCS. They win game one with a ninth-inning rally. Uh, Austin uh, Riley hit a solo home run, a part of a four-run ninth inning to give the Atlanta Braves a victory over Los Angeles. And, of course, now we find out that Clayton Kershaw is not going to be able to pitch game two because he has back spasms. So, once again, the Dodgers fluttering here at the most inopportune time, can't get over the top to see if they're going to do it. But the Braves get that victory. In the American League, Tampa Bay took a 2-0 lead over the Astros. Uh, Mike Zanino hit a solo home run to propel the Rays in Game 2. So it looks like the Astros uh, in deep trouble right now. And, of course, I don't think anybody feels sorry for them. Hey, tonight at 710, ESPN Seattle is going to be joining the NLCS broadcast. That's going to be beginning at 7 o'clock. Hey, you can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go into further review and talk about the toughest competition in the NFC for the Seahawks, who were 5-0. John Clayton Show, 710, ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. And of course, uh, going under further review on this crazy day where the power was out here at the house for about an hour and literally like about uh, what a minute or two before the show, we're able to reestablish connections. We were going to almost have to do it off the app and all those different things, but at least the power is on. I just hope that the wind's blowing right now and, you know, the lightning and things that ha- happened in the last hour that it doesn't go out again. Uh, we'll hope for that. But in the end, it's a, now it's a matter of going under further review and checking out the Seahawks as they go into their bye week and taking a look at the competition. And I had to do a story uh, today for the Washington Post where basically – kind of breaking down to Super Bowl contenders. And the thing that I think was so noticeable uh, is that, uh, you know, obviously Seattle at 5-0 and uh, with a chance with an easy schedule, closing schedule and that, except for the division games, you know, they have a great chance to uh, win maybe 11, 12 or 13 games. And then, but uh, you start to look at the list of other teams that are Super Bowl contenders from the NFC. Okay, then you go to Green Bay and then you kind of stop. You go, okay, now the Rams certainly are better than uh, the team from last year, and they're going to be in the hunt. But, of course, their four wins are against NFC East teams, but they made a great comeback and almost won the Buffalo game. So they're, they're legit. Arizona, you know, particularly after losing Chandler Jones and some of the up-and-down uh, offensive performances they've had of late. I mean, they're probably like a seven-win team. And San Francisco, I think they're going to—they're not even going to have a winning season. They go—they're two and three, lost three home games, and then have a stretch coming up where they have seven games against pretty good teams. And I don't know if they're going to be able to salvage all that. Nevertheless, it's—you uh, know—looking right now, it's Seattle and Green Bay are the two main teams that uh, you, you think about as far as the Super Bowl. Con- 
contenders. And uh, you look at New Orleans. New Orleans right now, uh, three and two, and they almost lost that Charger game. Had to come back from a 17-point deficit. And then you look at Tampa Bay. They've been a little up and down, but they're three and two. But I know Brock Hewitt was on today with Danny and Gallant and talked about the main competition for the Seahawks in the NFC. Brock, uh, they're going into their bye week at five and zero. Who's going to be the Seahawks' toughest opponent the rest of the season? The Rams. The Rams. I, w- I was just looking at the latest standings. If the season were to end today, your Seattle Seahawks would be the number one seed. Green Bay had their bye, so uh, by th- that one more extra win, the Seahawks are the number one seed. Followed by Green Bay, New Orleans, and Dallas. And then your wild cards with the expanded playoffs are the Rams, the Bears, and Arizona. And, you know, same thing just psychologically. The Rams are the one team that Russell is under 500 against. The Rams are the one team that is, with Aaron Donald, dominated the line of scrimmage. The Rams are the one team who really defensively, in this transition and all of these adjustments and everything you've tried to do, the Seahawks have had hard, such a hard time defending their run and their play action and their movement and their condensed formations and everything they like to do. And, yeah, I, I think the Rams are going to be the most difficult of those matchups. They're probably split with Arizona. The wheels look like they've come off the wagon in San Francisco. Um, so yeah, I think the Rams will probably determine whether you're a 12 or 13 win team and, and whether you're the number one seed or the Green Bay Packers are the number one seed in the NFC this year. Yeah, I totally agree with Brock on that because uh, you know the Rams, even though again, the four wins are as four bad NFC East teams and they, they do have to play uh, you know more tougher games down the stretch than Seattle, but uh, you know they've, they've lived up to everything. I mean, you got the running game going and uh, a great point by Brock bringing up the fact that there's a losing record that Russell has against the Rams, and so they've now got to try to fix all that and uh, you know be in a position where the Rams may not have as potent of an offense as they did a couple years ago. But I think you're seeing you know great play calls coming from uh, Sean McVay. I think you're looking at uh, a defense that has surprised everybody with being a little bit better than people think. Because again, uh, you know nobody's able to block Aaron Rod- uh, Aaron Donald. He's just absolutely incredible just absolutely dominating everything and uh you know he hit the four sacks on sunday i mean probably going to be defensive player of the year he's that good and that uh unable nobody's able to stop him so that's going to be the tough matchup but really when you go down the stretch okay so you you look at the remaining 11 games and you say buffalo on the road is going to be tough the rams found that out you know falling behind by 25 points and almost coming back and getting that victory uh but still buffalo did win and buffalo's undefeated you'll be able to watch them tonight starting at four o'clock and then you can see that the Rams are the next toughest. And then after that, Curtis, who else? I mean, again, I think at the moment you could see the 49ers eliminated in the next month because they're two and three. They got so many injuries, and it's not getting any better. They find out yesterday two more bad things. The Quam Alexander has a high ankle sprain, and so he may be out for a month. Then Richard Sherman had a setback in his calf injury. He's not going to be available in week six. And so, you know, how many players are going to be there when the Seahawks, you know, take on the 49ers in week eight? Yeah, it's going to be a very different 49ers team than what we've become accustomed to over the last year. Uh, the team that boat raced the rest of the NFC on their way to the Super Bowl last year. But, John, that question you asked outside of the Rams, who on the Seahawks' schedule presents the toughest challenge? And, I mean, the Bills, obviously, that's mm-hmm. going to be a tough game. 
Uh, but outside of the Rams and Bills, John, there isn't a team that really jumps out and, and puts the fear of God into me. Uh, I mean, maybe the Cardinals, they got two games against them, and, and we know divisional games are much tougher than games outside because the, the opponents are so much more familiar uh, with each other. And, and you know, we've seen it in years past where, where bad divisional teams, you know, come into Seattle and, and maybe give the Seahawks a tough time of it. I'm not saying the Cardinals are a bad divisional team. They've got a record above 500 at this point. But outside of the L.A. Rams, which is going to be, what, week 10 and then week 16, there is not a lot left on the Seahawks schedule that I think could really throw a wrench into any sort of playoff plans that the Seahawks have. Uh, maybe the Philadelphia game, maybe they somehow get better between now and November 30th. Uh, that's going to be a Monday night game. But to me, I, I look at the Seahawks' remaining schedule, John, and, and there's a possibility they may not even play the Packers at any point in, until the NFC Championship mm-hmm. game. Uh, especially based off of the route that these two teams are going on. If Seattle continues to win, if Green Bay continues to win, those are going to be the number one and number two seeds in the NFC. They're not going to meet before the title game. So I think Brock is is right in saying that the Rams are the toughest team remaining for the Seahawks. And who would have thought at the beginning of the year that we'd be saying the Rams, uh, especially after all that they had to cut from their roster, now sort of in position to... Uh, get a wild card spot and, and make some noise in the NFC. Oh yeah, no no doubt. And I think Jared Goff is playing better. I think that uh, you know they're going more to a two tight end offense just because they they needed to do it because you know you, you have Cooper Cup and who's sensational Robert Woods, but uh, they're a little short on receivers after that. Josh Reynolds doesn't scare you, and they seem to work a little bit better. And again, that running offense even though it doesn't have Todd Gurley, has been very, very effective. You know, with the outside sweeps and everything that they were able to do, the pre-snap motions. I mean, they do such a great job of that. And so you throw all that together, you go, hmm, interesting. And the Rams defense, even though, again, so much of it's going against the you know teams in the NFC East, has done exceedingly well. So, yeah, I think that uh, Brock is right, that the Rams right now, are the main adversaries. <clears throat> and, of course, that goes back, you know, now that the 49ers are not going to be pretty much there because I just look badly at the 49ers. Yeah, and I think anybody looking down at the Rams because of their four wins and, and I guess, the quality of opponent they've played, what's well, the NFL? Any team is capable of winning each week. And, and for them to go up against a, a whole division and, and sweep through it, I think that speaks to a talented team. I think that they're a team that right now is – is one that is, I guess, not necessarily playing. I don't know if this is the best football we're going to see from the Rams all season long, but from what we've seen out of them through five weeks, you get you definitely have to pay attention because their wins against the NFC East, yeah, they, they snuck by the Cowboys in week one, but they blew out Philadelphia 37-19. Uh, they played an ugly game against the Giants, and then they blew out uh, Washington in week five. So, I mean, that's just a, a team right now that's that's really moving towards uh, a playoff berth. We're going to find out a lot more about the NFC West, specifically on Sunday night when the Rams play the 49ers in San Francisco. John, just we're still, what, five days away from yep. that game happening. When you look at those two teams right now, 
they're clearly going in opposite directions. Do you think San Francisco has anything in their tank to hang with the Rams on Sunday night? You know, they, I mean, they still have Kyle Shanahan calling the plays. Uh, you know, we'll see if they have Jimmy Garoppolo because I think that Kyle Shanahan made a mistake putting him out there with that high ankle sprain because you can see he just wasn't ready to throw the football. I mean, it was, you know, that was his right foot and he couldn't put any real power behind the throws. The throws were a lot higher than you would want them to be through two bad interceptions. But again, if I guess if uh, you know you if he does well, Jimmy Garoppolo and he you know, has a good week of practice and you know comes back and looks a little bit stronger, they can hang with him. And they are at home, although it doesn't mean much. But no home field advantage for anybody in this league. But I look at it as that uh, hey, you can hang with anybody on any given week. You know, as long as you're you're not the Jets and uh, you're, not, you're not one of the <laughs> bad teams in the NFC East. Yeah, if you don't call New Jersey your home stadium. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what a what a disaster. By the, by the way, we'll talk about this behind the lines, is that uh, you see now they're shopping uh, Le'Veon Bell, because now you know he got mad at uh, Adam Gaze, got mad at him for tweeting out his lack of playing time in the game, and so now as a typical Adam Gaze thing, it's like, well, let's get rid of this guy, so we'll see about that. Hey, by the way, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or the app. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Omar Ruiz from the NFL Network about the Seahawks and the NFL. John Clayton shows 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us is Omar Ruiz from the NFL Network. And, of course, you can catch him on NFL Game Day Live on Sundays, NFL preview show uh, and uh, that's going to be on uh, Fridays on the NFL Network and so uh, and of course you know he's usually has been up here a lot uh, watching the Seahawks games and getting interviews and things like that but we're all kind of trapped with the uh, on Zoom and all that stuff but I don't know what's your reaction Omar to what you've seen from the Seahawks in the first five games it's just remarkable John and I think while most of the world was going crazy for the comeback and Russell Wilson's two fourth-quarter conversions on the game-winning drive and all the drama that surrounded it. I think people like you, people like me, who have been around this team for a long, long time, who've come to appreciate Russell Wilson's heroics time and time again, I think we expect it at this point. And I thought it was only a matter of time before the Seahawks pulled that one out. So Russell Wilson, obviously one of the upper echelon quarterbacks, in the NFL today, but he's now starting to etch himself into the upper echelon, I think, all time in terms of fourth-quarter comebacks, that clutch play, the improbable wins in the fourth quarter. We're seeing it all on display, testament to his work, his relentlessness to improve, and the belief that he has in his teammates, most notably, Yeah, because he's putting up some of the most incredible numbers and play in five weeks. And, of course, I mean, that's been one of the things that I know that uh, you've heard about is that they want to let Russ cook and letting him get more (laughs) first down type plays where he can throw pick up the tempo and all that. And, uh, you know, it didn't work in the first half of the game against Minnesota, but he's been cooking. Well, I think what's remarkable of Russell Wilson's performance is that he's third in the league right now, John, in completion percentage, which, you know, a lot of quarterbacks that do that are dinking and dunking and all that. But Russell Wilson is also fourth in yards per attempt. So it means, like we've been seeing, he goes downfield a lot. And so not only is he going downfield, he's pressing defenses, he's hitting them. He's converting them. And we've seen it 
time and time again, whether it was Tyler Lockett, David Moore's been huge, and of course that connection with DK Metcalf, they're hoping will go down as one of the greatest tandems in history, and it's certainly off to a great start in DK's year number two, but if, if it's not one thing, it's another, whether it's Russell Wilson and his physical capabilities, throwing the most perfect deep balls that we've seen in a long, long time, or whether it's his mental capabilities, staying calm, under pressure, that always compete mentality, whether things are going well like they were in the second half against Minnesota or whether they're going poorly like they were in the first quarter, that sort of you know mental toughness to get through all those moments, good and bad, Russell Wilson continues to impress in every way. No question about it. Now, talk about uh, the DK Metcalf connection because uh, in 21 games that he's been able to play, he's putting up numbers that have actually topped guys like uh, Terrell Owens and uh, Calvin Johnson. I mean, maybe not a top uh, Randy Moss, uh, but certainly some of the best big receivers and huge receivers in football. In 21 games, he's establishing himself as something very special. An incredible performance here only in year two for him to be doing this on a team that uh, is expected to compete, is a playoff team. They have Super Bowl aspirations every year as long as Russell Wilson is the quarterback there. And, and for him to rise to the occasion so quickly is a testament to him and his hard work. But I think back all the way to when he was drafted last year and being at the rookie minicamp and going through OTAs and all the positive praise that Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson threw on DK Metcalf. They were constantly saying DK Metcalf is the real deal. He's a star in the making, really putting that confidence in him early on. And of course we saw flashes last year in his rookie year. They carried it over to all that off season work that we've heard about down in San Diego in Seattle, even in Mexico, going on vacation together, really forming that bond as a one, two punch, building that relationship as friends, building that relationship as quarterback or receiver, and I think we're really on the cusp of something special here, not only for this season, but long-term, this tandem, this duo, hoping to go down in history as one of the greats all time. But naturally, uh, there's still people very worried about the defense, the yardage given up. I mean, it was passing yards in the first four games. It was rushing yards in the Minnesota game. Uh, Size up your thoughts on the defense. Yeah, obviously needs to improve. I don't know if you can sustain that way or at least win a Super Bowl this way. In fact, 470 yards they're allowing per game, 370 yards per game in the air. Uh, certainly uh, that, that's all-time lows for the, for the Seahawks. And, John, no playoff team has ever gone into the postseason giving up more than 420 yards total, more than 300 yards through the air, and so certainly the Seahawks would make history if they're able to go to the postseason with those numbers, and obviously it looks like they're on their way to the postseason. But that defense certainly needs to improve uh, to compete long-term um, because, as we know, you know the windows are going to close you know, much more tightly in the playoffs like we themselves a whole. But when you get against a team that's much more talented, uh, a little more cohesiveness, you know, it's a little harder to make those those fourth-quarter comebacks like that and kind of live and die in those dramatic fashions. So the defense is going to need to improve so that they don't have to have these, these heart-pounding fourth-quarters 
time and time again because eventually it's going to catch up with them. But that's the one thing. I mean, you know from looking at it from the league's perspective right now, I mean, isn't this the case with most teams that are good? Their defense is, uh, is giving up more yards, more points than they ever have. You see that in Green Bay. You see it with New Orleans. You see it uh, in so many different areas that, uh, you know, this is an offensive year and some of the old traditions don't stand up as far as you know what you're thinking as far as themes. No, you're right about that. And obviously, teams not having to deal with road crowds and noise and disrupting their offense has certainly bl- played a big part. And I think that you can attribute that to Seattle's defense as well, not having the 12s in the stands at home and all the uh, havoc that they wreak on a weekly basis has taken its toll. And you, I think you can say that throughout the league. But, yeah, this, this league has been set up to four scoring, four offenses, We've seen the rules change time and time again in favor of the offense, and we're seeing that all reflected now. Uh, it's certainly been exciting, and if we're getting these shootouts and heart-pounding moments in the fourth quarter of the playoffs, then certainly they're going to be as dramatic as ever. Um, so, yeah, this is a trend that I don't see going away. But ultimately, I think, John, just like we see every year, the teams that play the best defense, just like we saw Kansas City, as well as they played and Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and the crazy fourth-quarter comeback we saw in the Super Bowl, Their defense was the best in the league last year from week 11 on. So, obviously, we've seen teams turn it around defensively, even ones that were known for for offensive, explosive type of play. We've seen teams turn it around on defense late in the year, and I think the Seahawks will need to get that ultimately if they want to win the Super Bowl. Let's kind of go quickly around the uh, NFC West. Uh, What's your thoughts on what you see from the Arizona Cardinals? Well, I liked what the Arizona Cardinals did. Uh, this past weekend in New York, it's easy to say that the Jets have struggled against everybody. But when I looked at the Carolina game the week before, I just saw a lot of dinking and dunking. And you have a playmaker like DeAndre Hopkins, and they were still getting him the ball, but there was quick hitches and wide receiver screens and certainly not taking the most of his talent. And then what you saw was a defense that was collapsing itself, John. So when, when Kyler Murray wanted to get loose on the ground, he couldn't because they had 11 defenders near the line of scrimmage and, and it sort of stifled their offense in a way that we saw them improve uh, against New York. And, and DeAndre Hopkins during the week told Kyler Murray, like, hey, trust me, even if it looks like I'm covered, throw it up, I'll make a play or two. And certainly that's what he did uh, in New York, throwing the ball up toward the sideline, letting DeAndre Hopkins, just like we see Russell Wilson do with D.K. Metcalf. A guy of that caliber, you know, those 50-50 balls are going to be a lot more like 80-20. And so Kyler Murray was able to extend the field, stretch the defense, put his trust in DeAndre Hopkins, and I think by using that trust, that chemistry, they're still growing together, that will help their offense down the road. Big setback, though, losing Chandler Jones for a season with a torn bicep. Terrible news. Terrible news for you know somebody who's been the NFL leader in sacks since 2016 and obviously dynamic playmaker, and that was a defense that had really turned itself around from being last in the league last year and you know obviously a lot better this year um they needed things to be perfect for them uh you know to have a chance and and obviously no chandler jones um for the foreseeable future uh is, is not good for the cardinals but i think this is a team that was looking to if they could just get that defense to middle of the pack which i think without chandler jones they might still be able to do then it's going to need the offense to carry the team maybe not playoff caliber uh after that loss but certainly going to contend and certainly going to make you earn every win against them if you're going to get it. Rams pretty much won the NFC East with four wins against uh, four teams in the NFC East, but how good are they? (laughs) 
the honorary NFC East champs. Yeah, the Rams. I think they're a lot better than we figured going into the season. I think the big question mark was, yeah, we saw Sean McVay and his offensive system and kind of surprising people his first few years in the league. But then once defensive coordinators got a good amount of tape on it, it's no longer going through Todd Gurley. How can he build a team? How can he use those head coaching capabilities outside of being a dynamic offensive coordinator? And he's shown by rebuilding his staff, in some respects rebuilding the roster, that they are still a good team. Obviously, I think they're better than last year. I think they were living on a tightrope last year in a 3-1 and one start. Now, obviously, 4-1, and one, playing with a lot of confidence. They can beat you in a number of different ways, whether they're relying on any one of their three backs that they like to go to. They let Cam Akers loose. We've seen Henderson uh, a few times this year take charge. Malcolm Brown has been in the mix. Those receivers continue to show up. And then even when you know you look at a guy like Tyler Higby have a slow game uh, in Washington, and Gerald Everett, the other tight end, shows up. So they're deep in every way. Aaron Donald will continue to lead that defense. Jalen Ramsey, they're moving him around, so he's in position to make plays. I think, I think what you saw toward the second half of the year last year was teams just going away from Jalen Ramsey. And when you have such a dynamic playmaker there in the secondary not being used because he's not being tested, one of the big tenets of Brandon Staley's philosophy, the new defensive coordinator for Rams, is how can we get Jalen Ramsey involved even when teams are going to look to throw to the opposite side of the field? And I think they're doing that. And obviously Aaron Donald's still right in the mix of everything will be a defensive player of the year candidate once again. So I think on both sides of the ball, the Rams are in good shape right now. Okay, Cal. Omar Ruiz, tell everybody where you can be seen on the NFL Network. All right, we'll be on NFL Now on Friday at 10 o'clock Pacific and NFL Game Day Live at 1.30 on Sunday. We'll have all the games for you. A huge showdown will be featuring between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. should be a good one on, on Sunday afternoon. You can see the highlights uh, right here on NFL Network and, and look forward to uh, to all the games here in Week 6, including tonight, Week 5. going to be fun. Can you believe it, John? It's Tuesday, Tuesday night football. First <laughs> Tuesday game since 2010. Should be good. Hey, Omar, yeah, thank you fun. so Battle much. Too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no problem, John. Always great to be on with you. And be sure to check out the Professor's Notes at 710sports.com. Professor's Notes brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, we're going to go behind the lines, check out the National Football League. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, we've had two firing of head coaches in the last two weeks, Bill O'Brien of the Houston Texans and Dan Quinn of the Atlanta Falcons. And I'm just amazed that, uh, you know, Adam Gaze still has his job and still has the clout that he appears to have because now you can see the relationship is breaking down again with Le'Veon Bell, breaking down to a point where, you know, Le'Veon was upset that he, you know, of course, remember, Adam Gaze kept him in the game for five plays with a hamstring injury and he ended up going on injured reserve and then, after the game on Sunday, uh, Le'Veon tweeted out after coming back off IR that he wasn't happy about uh, you know some of the lack of carries and only having 14 carries and not being out there the whole time. And Adam came back at the press conference on Monday and says, "I don't know about all these players nowadays. They just want to. They don't want to talk to you. They want to go ahead and just tweet out their complaints and not have any communication on this. And now here it is with a, a, a really a roster bonus that's due on Thursday." Uh, 
that the Jets would have to pay. They're shopping him like mad. And I would have to think, Curtis, that uh, the, the initial thought is with his $13.1 million a year contract, you know, again, all the guarantees, uh, at least on the roster, are for next year are gone. Uh, but, you know, I, I, they, they might not be get, able to get anything more than a sixth or seventh round pick for him. Yeah, they really did not do their homework when oh. signing Le'Veon Bell last offseason because it's been, what, three years since he was deemed a, a top-flight running back in the NFL. I saw a stat uh, this morning. I forget who tweeted it out, but they said that Le'Veon Bell has not had a 20-plus-yard rush since the 2017 season. Now, obviously, he missed the 2018 season uh, because of that contract dispute he had with Pittsburgh. But still, that's three years removed from just a, a good run by him. It's been so long since he's been any sort of you know workhorse running back in the NFL. Uh, I can't imagine there are many teams that are interested in him. Last year, he averaged what three point two yards per carry. Worst in franchise history. Yeah, and this year they basically put Frank Gore ahead of him on the on the depth chart in New York. So that, what's that, 37-year-old Frank Gore? Mm-hmm. Frank Gore, the same one whose son is playing college football right now. Uh, that's how low Le'Veon Bell's value has dropped over the last couple of seasons. Uh, but like you said, John, this is typical Adam Gase. If he doesn't like you, he wants to trade you. Yeah, and again, it's like uh, you can see the communication breakdown that's been really there for the longest period of time, and now it's a matter that's like, okay, uh, who who should go first? Should it be Le'Veon Bell or Adam Gaze? And listen, I like Adam. I mean, he's a good contact of mine. Uh, certainly, uh, Joe Vitt, his father-in-law, is one of my you know real dear tre- treasured. Uh, talk to sources at, uh, in the in the league. He's so good, but uh, it's just not working. I mean, they're 32nd on offense. They got Sam Darnold all messed up right now. He's got the AC joint sprain. They got wor- the, some of the worst offensive numbers we've seen in the last couple of years in an offensive era. I mean, this is an offensive age right now. How do you do that? It's, it's mind-boggling, John. Uh, one game to watch out for this weekend, and there's plenty mm. of uh, plenty of stuff at stake between Pittsburgh and Cleveland. But it's also a rematch of one of the more controversial moments of the 2019 season. That'd be Miles Garrett of Cleveland when he ripped off Mason Rudolph's helmet, hit him over the head with that. Uh, obviously, Mason Rudolph likely not to play with Ben Roethlisberger being healthy. Uh, you, do you expect any sort of bad blood between the two teams coming up this Sunday, or is there just too much at stake for any sort of uh, extracurricular? You know, activities? there's going to be bad blood. I mean, that's yeah. the one thing. It's like uh, having you know cut my teeth in that division uh, in watching how you know you know how Cleveland and and the Steelers don't get along, how the Ravens don't get along with the Steelers and all that stuff. There's naturally going to be bad blood, and so. You know they got to. I'm, I'm sure the officials going into the game have to be very cautious in how they handle it because again it could get very messy and you know the first blow up is going to be really bad and I think there's going to be blow ups. There's no doubt. I know that uh, Mike Tomlin has his Tuesday press conference and he basically says ah let's not get into uh, you know we don't, don't want to get into this uh, must see. Uh, FSC or whatever TV type stuff. It's like, uh, but he knows he's got to try to control things and it's not going to be easy. 
Yeah, definitely not going to be easy, but I feel like with Miles Garrett playing the way he is, with Cleveland playing the way they are, it's going to be a, a really fun game to watch, oh. hopefully uh, from a competitive standpoint. Hopefully things don't get to the point where it was last year on Thursday Night Football. Where... By, by the way, I, I know that uh, you know there's better, more wins in the NFC West than there is in the AFC North, but don't you have to think right now that the AFC North with three potential playoff teams right now it might starting to edge up to maybe being close to the NFC West or maybe being the best division in football? It's very, very possible. I mean, the Ravens, obviously one of the best teams in the AFC. Cleveland has had an improved start to the season. And Pittsburgh looks like they're back to what they were prior to Ben Roethlisberger's injury. Uh, you could definitely make the case that the AFC North is – uh, equal to the NFC West, maybe you know, maybe a little bit better, depending on how this season uh, shakes out, depending on how Arizona and San Francisco sort of hold up the back end of the division there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the AFC North right now, you don't want to be the Bengals because mm-hmm. you got to face three basically playoff teams on your schedule six times throughout the season. That's that's no that's no fun for a rookie quarterback in Joe Burrow. Oh no, that's not fun at all. No, you you definitely have some problems there. So that's going to be really interesting. But also, what's going to be interesting is catching up with Sean Salisbury for four downs. It's the John Clayton Show, seven ten ESPN Seattle.